0: Today's sponsor is Casper, an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash recode and using the promo code recode. Terms and conditions apply. Today is also sponsored by SoFi, a new kind of finance company that offers student loan refinancing at low rates. SoFi members save on average $19,000 and can save even more through an employer partner program. See how SoFi can help you at sofi.com Terms and conditions apply at SoFi.com slash legal. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher, powered by digital media. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. You may know me as the person who convinced the Tribune Company to change its name to Tronk, but in my spare time, I talk tech and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. You can subscribe to Recode Decode at iTunes.com slash Recode Decode. And while you're there, leave us a review. Today in the red chair are Donna Dubinsky and Jeff Hawkins, who I've known for a dog's age. They're the co-founders of Numenta, along with a lot of other companies. Numenta is a machine intelligence company that tries to help other companies take action based on data. They've been at it for a long time, well before this trend has become a big one in Silicon Valley. They first teamed up in 1992 at Palm which is one of the pioneering, I don't know, smartphone companies where Donna was the CEO, and they also co-founded Handspring, a company that made the Trio smartphone. Donna and Jeff, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. And you're still nice together time. after all these years. Yeah. amazingly <laughs> enough. <laughs> yes, that's true. I know. How how long have you been working together?
1: Two uh, since ninety two. Uh, so ninety one. Yeah. Uh, ninety two. Ninety two. Right. So how many? What is that? your
2: secret to your to your partnership mm, success?
1: I don't know. What would you say, Donna? <laughs>
2: I would say uh, tolerance. <laughs> um, I th- you know, I think we complement each other very well. Jeff has always been the driver on the technology, the market side. I've been much more the business person, if mm-hmm. you will, and looking at how to create businesses around these ideas. And I think it's that complementary nature that has been able to persist through Several different companies, yeah, and, and even Ups one and nonprofit. I, yeah. I helped Jeff when he created the Red Road Neuroscience Institute as well. So we just, I think, have a great respect for each other's strengths and able to work together. Plus, we have fun. Yeah, it's, yeah.
0: Not, it's unusual in Silicon Valley. Long time partners. is it? I guess, I guess yeah. is it? Maybe.
1: Well, I mean, you, you yeah. think about the uh, the partnership that, that led Intel in the beginning. That's that true. lasted For a long time, but maybe yeah. uh, maybe it's not too common now.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about Numenta. Let, you know, we, we at Code Conference this year, we got a lot of talk out of a lot of statements from a lot of people about artists artificial intelligence. On one side, it was sort of the Facebook people and others talking about the happy, shiny future of artificial intelligence. On the other, it was Elon Musk saying, at best, we can hope to become house cats of computers, which was somewhat disturbing. And at worst, of course, they'll kill us. But you guys have been at this. Explain Numenta for the listeners.
1: Uh, Oh, wow. Um, This actually goes back a long, long time ago, uh, when I was right out of college. And I fell in love with. Of brains and I wanted to. I just wanted to dedicate my life to, to people's brains. Yeah, the human brain inside how, the skull. How it works yeah. and just as a scientific endeavor, um, humanity to understand how we think and how our brains work because that's what humanity is. So well,
0: this was you were not a medical student. No,
1: I I actually ended up being a graduate student at Berkeley in biophysics, but. But anyway, it goes back a long time, and it turns back at that time. You really couldn't do this at all. It, it wasn't possible scientifically to do this. So that's when uh, we, we started Palm. It was like a, it was something to do for a few years until I could get back into neuroscience. Believe it or not, that's mm-hmm. how I viewed it. And uh, I think the first day I met Donna, I told her this.
2: That's what he told me when I <laughs> interviewed with him for CEO of Palm. He yeah. basically explained that the long-term vision was to be able to get back to understanding the brain and how the brain works. And right. This was the going greatest to be, computer
1: of all, right? Uh, yeah, of yeah. sorts. And um, so that's it's a long, long history. Me personally, and Donna as a partnership, understanding this, and so. Um, the time at Palm and Handspring was really all exciting. We were working on mobile computing and all stuff. But everyone knew that I wanted to get back into this. Yeah. So um, about 15 years ago or 13 years ago, I can't remember now exactly, um, I left the mobile computing space. I started this nonprofit that Donna mentioned a moment ago, Redwood Neuroscience Institute, which was just focused on brain theory, cortical theory. And Donna was on the board and helped. Uh, she was the chair of the board and helped organize that. They did that for a number of years. That research entity had a close partnership with Berkeley. And so it's now continuing on the Berkeley campus. It's part of the Helen Wills Neuroscience Institute. But we, at that time, left and started uh, Numenta, which is sort of a, a hybrid between a, a for-profit company and a private research lab. And so we continue doing the neuroscience research, but also building technology so to spin Donna, off. So Donna,
0: talk a little bit about the business part of that. Now, what year did you start Numenta, and what was the funding?
2: We started Numenta in, uh it was 11 years about ago? 11 years ago. So. so early, early, before a lot yeah. of people were thinking about Oh, absolutely. Sessions. Though if you look at the history of you know what's called artificial intelligence, it goes back oh, 50 yes, years. Absolutely. So, uh-huh. you know, a long time, people have been struggling with this issue of how can we make machines that are intelligent. But, you know, we've talked a lot about what's the right business model for us along the way. When we created Numenta, we debated, should we make it a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. But the reason we decided to make it a commercial entity was because we have a huge belief in platforms. We've seen that through our um, days at Palm, at Handspring, my earlier career at Apple. Mm-hmm. And seeing how if people can add value on top of what you're doing and creating specific solutions, you can have a much, much bigger impact. And if people sure. are excited about that, it's, it's a way to get more support for what you're doing. That's well, so- kind
1: of a recon- that ultimately this is going to be a huge industry. And right. um, and just to acknowledge that fact and say, how do you play a role in that? And no, don't ignore that component of it.
0: Right. But when you started it, you know, from a business point of view, was it difficult? Because people, artificial intelligence and, the, and machine learning have been around for a while, but it really just recently. Well, it's funny because,
1: uh, Donna, when, when we started, I think you led an effort to decide what terms we're going to use. And you, you did focus groups on AI. Remember so, that? L- l- mm. yeah, what and, happened? Well, we, it was the worst thing in the world. Why? Tell
2: me. Well, AI has a negative kind of a, of a meaning from back in the early days. Right. You may even remember they talk about the AI winter that we went through. Well, the
0: Terminator uh, didn't do so much.
2: For well, it. Well, yeah, there's been a lot of sci-fi movies that have right. uh, incorporated it's all AI. But, you know, there was a real disappointment. People in the early years tried to do very interesting things and realized that they were up against a wall, and they really didn't know how to move forward. And I think... Well, talk about work. those early days, meaning what were they trying to do? What was the
1: concept? Oh, this, this goes back into the 50s yeah. when the term AI was termed, uh, came up with, coined. And at that time, they were saying, oh, this program. That was at get, MIT, right? Yeah, uh, MIT and uh, other places yeah. as well. But they had the AI lab back uh-huh. at MIT. And um, so there was all these promises, all this stuff is going to be amazing, we're going to solve all these things in a few years, and it, it fell flat. And then in the '80s, there was a research there was a huge interest in neural networks, and mm-hmm. there was a hu- there was all these conferences and companies and funding, and all the stuff was great, and all that went, went away. and so we're actually sort of like on a third wave right now mm-hmm. um, where there's a, there's a hyping of interest again that's happening here. Um, but so this has been going on and on again, where people get excited and then all of a sudden ah, it didn't really turn out the way we thought it would be. It gets excited and then it turned out the way we thought it would. be. We still think the right, the current wave of AI right now, AI right now is built on the wrong technology base. It's not okay. even close to AI. It's not even close to what human intelligence is. So you know we're going through another wave of interest right now. But it's interesting how when we started the company. The uh, public association with the term AI was very, very negative, and now here it is today. Everyone can't wait to call themselves an AI company. Yeah, so
0: let's talk first about the again the business of it, Donna. What is the actual business momentum and then let's talk about what the product is.
2: We've looked at a few different business models through the yeah. years. We've mm-hmm. thought, tried enterprise sales. We've created meaning a what product too? Like going to directly to the um, a big company and trying to solve a problem for them with consulting services as well as with our technology.
0: Mm-hmm. Sort of what IBM is kind of trying to do. a
2: lot of big companies do this kind of approach. Another approach is a product approach. We created a product called Grok for AWS, which monitors servers on a network and gives you anomalies. That was actually well-received, but we found that where our heart was was the core technology. And every time we went down that path we felt we didn't want to invest resources in what it took to get it from where it was to a real, vibrant, big, deployed product. Mm -hmm. So at this stage, our business model, which I think is is very interesting, is modeled after a tech transfer model of a university or a research lab. And the idea is that we work with partners, and Mm -hmm. those partners take the products into a specific domain. They add the part on top of the technology that we don't do. They have domain expertise. For example, that Grok product has been taken over by a company. They've brought it to the market. They're building out a whole product around it. And we're supporting them in doing that. Mm -hmm.
0: So the core technology. And talk about that, Jeff. What is the... Um,
1: Yeah, so, I mean, we start, really, we start with a scientific mission. Mm-hmm. and that is how to reverse reverse engineering the neocortex right I mean in detail biological. but not
0: the stupid parts
1: uh, well I like to say, say there's the, there's the Trump a, parts I call it the, well, the Trumpian the brain can be easily divided into the new parts which is the neocortex literally meaning new layer mm-hmm. and the old parts of the brain and all the things we think about of emotions or anger or lust or fighting these are all the old parts of the brain mm-hmm. the neocortex is sort of the rational part of the brain that builds a model of the world and understands mm-hmm. it so if you want to think about like math and physics and, and humanity all these things that's the new part of the brain if you think about the baser parts of humanity that's the old part so of the
0: that. brain's at war with itself uh, it is it's right. like you
1: know you those, those old pictures of the cartoon with a devil and mm-hmm. an angel on two sides which really like that
2: It's right. so, like when you see that cupcake and your yeah. brain is
1: at war with itself <laughs> yeah, the neocortex says I know I'm not supposed to eat the cupcake it's obvious I've read all the reports I understand why it's bathroom but the other part of the brain goes eat 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 yeah, and yeah. And yeah. And yeah. And eat the cupcake yeah. so Guess anyway we, we're focused on the neocortex which is 75% of a human brain so okay. it's, it's not it's the, the Size, you mean Yes physically size it's, it's what makes us unique. And developed since Uh, Well, all mammals have a neocortex, and non-mammals don't. So it's Mm -hmm. it's a characteristic unique to mammals. And um, in humans, it's particularly large and particularly um, Mm well-developed. So anyway, it turns out that it's an amazing organ, and everything that you and I do as humans, our language, our our art, our engineering, these are all done by the neocortex. And the surprising thing about it is the neocortex uses a common method for all these things. This was discovered 50 years ago. So the way you see and the way you hear and the way you think and the way you do language and the way you engineer things is all the same basic learning algorithm. Hard to believe, but it's true. So our goal is to understand that and and reverse engineer that, understand exactly how the neocortex works at a biological level and a mathematical level and a comprehensive theory. That theory is a biological theory, but it also gives you the functional basis of how this thing works. And then you can build machines that work on that principle. And that's a very different approach than what other people use for AI. So
0: explain that, Donna. What What do you mean? What's the other approach for AI?
2: The other approaches are much more mathematical, statistical. Teach a computer to be a human. And and they're often a focus on a specific problem. How do we solve this problem? This is much more of a generalized approach. It's about a learning machine. It's like your child is born and the brain doesn't have stuff in it, right. and then it learns from what it's exposed to. So the brain could learn Japanese, it could learn English, it could learn Swedish, whatever. It learns from what it's exposed to. You're not programming a Japanese brain. Mm-hmm. And so this idea is a much more general. So the way approach. it's
0: approached right now is that you're programming it, that you're programming computers.
1: No, you know the current uh, interest in AI is not programmed. Uh, That was the old way, but today it's learned. But it's a very simplistic learning method. You know, when, uh, when someone wants to look at a picture and say, what's this picture? Facebook mm-hmm. does this. Google does this. They right. train it on millions and millions of pictures and say, okay, which is essentially like what's this closest to. Humans don't do that at all. Right. We build a model of the world. We understand we're in a conference room right now, and we understand what all the objects here on the counter are, the microphones, the calculator, the, the, the walls and the windows. We have this very intricate model of the world that we've learned through interacting with it. It's a very, very different approach than just say, okay, we're going to run Recognize a picture. Let's train it on 16 million pictures, and we'll have a we'll have a picture recognizer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to. It, it's a little complicated. It, than it's that, I get it's it. a little bit more complicated, but basically that's the truth. So there's very very different approaches, and I think Donna mentioned a moment ago. If you're focused on solving a particular problem, you'll engineer a solution to that problem. What biology tells us that everything we think about humanity and humans and our capabilities are really it's a learning process based on the same algorithm. And, uh, and that algorithm is us moving to the world and touching things and, and so on. So you know, w- we believe that those principles, and they're very different, uh, those principles by which the brain works will be the foundation for what we think in the future of AI.
0: So when you're trying to you're essentially re, not rewire create a brain, why the fear around computers right now? I mean, Donna, you know, Elon talked well, about it. Jeff
2: wrote a great right. article for Recode <laughs> yes, that you did. guys uh, published on this question. Yeah. Right. I think it's it's like any new technology. It's fear of the unknown. Where can it go? And let's face it, every new technology can be used for bad as well as good. I mean, mm-hmm. cars give us great transportation, and cars give us accidents as well. And so- and well, this is a
0: little different. This is more, I mean, car is a passive thing that requires a human in it to do that accident. Maybe. Yeah.
2: But we've seen it with computers. Right. You know, early computers of course, instilled fear in people that 's why those sci fi movies that you talked about how whatever so I think it's there's always some great fear, and I think part of that is justified, and these things do need to be regulated and understood and the example I like to use is drones i mean mm-hmm. drones are so interesting, I think they 're going to open up all sorts of interesting areas of business and ideas and mm-hmm. viewpoints of the world It's fascinating. But they need to be regulated. They can't be flowing near airports. And the FAA just put out a series of regulations. I didn't just, realize that. Yeah, they did, in yeah. fact. All right,
0: we're going to talk some more about Numenta and the brain in just a second. But first, a moment for some advertising. We're here talking with Jeff Hawkins and Donna Dubinsky, a longtime Silicon Valley entrepreneur partnership who is now working on Numenta, which is figuring out the human brain. Casper made a perfect mattress and sells it directly to consumers to save you money. The Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. It combines springy latex and supportive memory foams to create an award winning sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. Time magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. Shipping to both the US and Canada is completely free, and there's a 100 day risk free trial and return policy. If you don't love your Casper mattress, they'll pick it up and refund everything. These mattresses are made in America. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash recode and using the promo code recode. Stop paying for the mattress industry's inflated prices. Go to casper.com slash recode, R-E-C-O-D-E, and use the promo code recode. Terms and conditions apply. Today's show is also brought to you by SoFi. SoFi is a new kind of finance company. They're helping people get out of student debt faster while saving them a lot of money. Refinancing student loans with SoFi saves members an average of $19,000. SoFi even partners with companies to help free their employees of debt. See how SoFi can help you at SOFI.com. Terms and conditions apply at SoFi.com slash legal. We're here with Jeff Hawkins and Donna Dubinsky, two longtime Silicon Valley entrepreneurs who are now working on Numenta. They're most famous for their forays into the smartphone business with Palm and Handspring and others, but now they're working on recreating the human brain. I think that's about right, Jeff. Correct or? Uh,
1: reverse engineering? Reverse and, engineering, building machines that work. So on the
0: same let's process. talk a little bit about the science of this. What is difficult about doing that? Because it's really hard to—I mean, people still, after all these years, don't know a lot about how the brain works.
1: Yeah, it is a very difficult problem. But we need to separate out uh, things that are hard to figure out from things that are hard to understand. Okay. And so the history of science is filled with things that at first seem very complicated and difficult, but then afterwards, it's once you understand it, it's not so bad. That's the way the brain is, too. And one of the reasons it's so hard to figure out is that it's a very uh, complex organ made of cells, and it's very hard for neuroscientists to actually get the data properly. Mm-hmm. So we work with lots and lots of partial studies of all this information. There's thousands of papers published every year yep. that are bits and pieces, and we have to sort of assimilate all that. But if you really go through the effort, you can do it, and you can make progress, and we're making excellent progress in this. The problem of how the neocortex works will be solved. It's partly solved already, and it'll be completely solved, uh, hopefully, in our lifetimes.
0: What is the most interesting thing that's going on in that area right now, from a point of In the whole field of, of, the of field. research?
1: Um, I think one of the things is it's the recognition that this is a problem that can be solved in the near term is elevated. It used to be that people thought this was like an impossible thing. It would take 500 years.
0: Because of so many connections, it's so many. Just,
1: it just seemed, just seemed we didn't have enough data, and it's hard to get the data. There's been so many new techniques for extracting data from brains now that we we have an embarrassment of data and lack of theory. So this is a field which is data embarrassingly rich, but theoretically very poor. There are very few people in companies or labs that are are really doing sort of this theoretical integration. But, you know, if you think about, like, even all kinds of people around the world have decided that understanding how the brain works is one of the next big things. It's a, it's a grand challenge for the National Academy kind of Engineering. We have um, a grand challenge in Europe called the Human Brain Project. In the United States, we have the Brain Initiative. These are sort of things that we can solve this problem in the next 10 years or so. And um, so the elevation of, like, okay, we've got the data we understand this is an, one of humanity's most interesting problems of all time, forever. Uh, is how our brains work, and this is the time that this can be done. So, don' talk a little bit about the other companies that are
0: addressing this, because now everybody seems to have jumped in heavily, and they're all around machine learning. Can you just tell, explain for people what the difference? You're your machine intelligence.
2: Well, there's a lot of companies working on machine learning and solving a lot of important problems. So, so
0: break I, I, that down for people who don't understand it quite properly.
2: Machine learning is more the technique that Jeff described earlier of using labeled data sets and trying Crunchy to data. under you know take away the statistics from it in order to solve a specific problem and it 's been successful at doing that, so you see the capjo, the dog cat kind of things uh-huh. is a problem that that people couldn 't do at all mm-hmm. ten to twenty years ago, and now they can do a relatively good job i think mm-hmm. it 's interesting you go on Facebook and how it identifies some of the faces and so I think there are those are approaches that are very good at, at solving specific problems they have made data. a lot of progress. They are highly reliant on labeled data, not just heavy data, but labeled mm. data. Somebody has to go through and say, this is a cat, this is a dog. You can't right. have unlabeled data and be able to figure it out. And uh, they are highly reliant on you know, significant computing power, which has added a-, a lot to solving these problems. But it's very different than our approach. Mm. Um, it doesn't mean that it's not interesting and important. It's just different. Mm-hmm. So why are people scared of it
0: right now? Because, again, we had that sort of dichotomy at code, and then it degenerated into it. it doesn't really matter. This is all a computer simulation anyway, yeah, which that means was a, that there's was some an, big brain up that there. That was
1: an amazing uh, yeah. claim uh, by yeah. Musk. Um, there's many
0: people that well, you know, agree I, with him. I, Just so you know, i have yeah. come out of the
1: woodwork, okay. and they're
0: prominent people.
1: I think one of the things that's going on here is there's very smart people, uh, whether it's Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or you know uh, Bill Gates or Stephen Hawking, who... Have said, oh my gosh, this is really dangerous. But those people, the as Spartans they are actually have no idea how brains work. They, mm-hmm. any, they don't have any sort of base theory about what mm-hmm. intelligent is and what a machine. They're also forgetting is.
0: that humans are very dangerous yes. things. So,
1: well, maybe, but no, it's are. based on a it's based on really a sort of a lack of knowledge in the field, and so they extrapolate from what people are doing with machine learning today and add some hyperbole to it. And stir it around a bit, and some science fiction, and all of a sudden you imagine these things becoming crazy and alive and taking over the world. It is so far from that; it's it's crazy, ridiculous.
0: Meaning, so far. Uh, well,
1: we're a we're we're not close to doing that. B, the current technology is even not even on a road to true intelligence. It's it's not the current approaches people are using machine learning are not on a path to building intelligent machines. We think the th- the approach we are is, mm-hmm. but if you understand what we we're doing, and, and earlier we were talking about like the old brain and the new brain, and It's just not going to happen. So the fears are based on sort of lack of knowledge about the field from from people who are very smart, and therefore they think since they're very smart, they can apply their smarts to this field they don't really know much about. Right.
2: Um, I I think it's worth this distinction of old brain, new brain. It's very important here because the old brain part is what's got the motivations. Mm -hmm. So I think they keep confusing that there's some old brainness somehow in this work, that these Mm -hmm. machines would have desires and goals and want power. Mm -hmm. and have needs and they won't. <laughs> they won't have any of those things. Nobody really is replicating the old part of the brain, that part. I mean, unless you program a machine to part. do that, it's the logical part, which is just very different, and I think it's it's hard for people to not separate those two things. Because yeah, they,
0: they're focusing on their own. This yeah, is they, what I would do. That's I, how you yeah, define exactly.
2: yourself as a human. You, yeah. you think of both those pieces when you're human, and that's true. Those are both important pieces as a human, but that's not what the machine is going to be.
1: There was, a, there was an unfortunate thing that happened many, many years ago. Uh, Alan Turing, the famous computer mm-hmm. scientist, he proposed this thing called the Turing test. And he actually proposed it because he was, for a different reason, he was tired of people asking, could machines be smart? But anyway, we've, t- we've accepted this Turing test as sort of the gold standard, like, can it be like a human? Mm-hmm. Uh, machine? But that's not what intelligent machines are going to be like. They're not going to be human-like at all. They're going to have the, the new brain, the neocortex part. Mm-hmm. But not the old brain. And they're not going to be humans. They're not going to live human lives and have human emotions and human experiences. We can, And so there's this idea that, you know, oh, a lot of people feel like the goal of AI or the goal is of… Is to the,
0: create a human. And then are some, they slaves? Are they? Yes, it gets into all exactly, those issues. Exactly. But
1: that's not going to be what the future machine intelligence looks like. It's going to be so different than that. So what does it look like? It's really just this part of the brain that… Here, I'll give you two examples of things that we can look forward to. Imagine you want to do mathematics. Mm-hmm. This is a very abstract thing that's done by the neocortex. It's done on the same principles we use everything else, that we do everything else with. We, we didn't evolve to do mathematics, but our brains can do it. Um, imagine you can build a brain that is a million times faster than a human, never gets tired, and it's designed to think like mathematics. It's really tuned to be a mathematician. We could m- advance mathematical theories extremely rapidly or fast. Than we could otherwise. This machine doesn't gonna do anything else. It's really designed doesn't to, be, want to eat. It doesn't, doesn't want to eat, doesn't wanna have sex. It's not, you know, jealous that you've got the, you know, the tuna sandwich and I got the whatever. And that's the kind of thing that we can look forward to. Machines are just brilliant and smart. All they do is work. But they do some they apply these things in other ways. I'll give you one other example if you have time for that. Sure, this. absolutely. Um, it, this is another one. You know, a lot of people, including Elon Musk, wants us, you know, want to send humans to Mars. I mm-hmm. think it's a great idea. But Mars in its best day is going to be worse than Earth in its worst day to live. That's (laughs) it for humans. And it, I get that sense. Yeah, and we, we're here. if we're going to do this, we need to have, think of it this way, a sort of an engineering robot. Engine, uh, robots that are smart at solving problems, like they have tools that break, they see materials that don't have, they're kind of, a, you take a really smart engineer and put them someplace and try to solve some problems and, and figure out new solutions to these things. We're going to have to have machines that are like that. And they're not going to be human-like machines, but they're going to have to be very flexible and intelligent in solving problems because humans are not going to be able to go outside and, all day long in, in hostile environments trying to fix things.
0: So Donna, talk about that idea because one of the, I had Anne Wojcicki on recently from 23 andme we doing DNA research and she was talking about this, similar to what you were talking about, is that these machines will say replace radiologists. You're talking radiology is an area of great controversy because a lot of radiologists just don't read the things right and computers can do it. They don't get tired. They get it right. They can call your attention to the three of the 500 photos of the brain you're looking at. These are the three that are most important. It, it, there's a whole job creation thing is that they do Replace people because they're better at it.
2: Well, they're going to replace some things, but they're going to create some other opportunities. And things, I know you so. all,
0: all you tech people, say that, but I actually, in this case, think they're just going to replace them. Like, what it, you know what I mean? I know that, Oh, there'll be more when the horses went away. There were cars. I'm like, but except that this really does replace things, and I can't think of how you. What is the job that humans have then if they can well, I don't do? Know it.
2: If you just take uh, you know Jeff's example of of sending a smart thing to Mars and exploring there. Somebody's got to create that. Somebody's got to manage that. Somebody's going to take the data from that. I think in the genetics area, I'm very excited about that. There's all that data that Mm -hmm. Anne and people like her are collecting, and, and people are trying to figure out what the heck do we do with this. And to the extent that can be used for finding ways to address diseases that we can't address today to understand them better and new treatments are developed and new protocols and so on, those are all opportunities for jobs as well as for improving humankind. So okay. I think there's going to be as many opportunities as there are going to be, you know, disconnects. But people have to be retrained for those things. I mean, it's not to say there isn't dislocation. There, there could be enormous yeah. dislocation. But I, I think it means there'll be different things going forward. So um, what is the product then, Jeff? What are you
0: making right now? Well, this as, platform. Uh,
1: well, as Donna talked about earlier, we've been through a series of ideas about uh-huh. what our product is, and, and currently today, it's a licensing model. Uh, we have a very of the uh, core technology. We, yeah, we have uh, for a small company like ours. Uh, we have um, uh, over thirty issued patents. And some of them we believe are fundamental, and we have many more coming along. Uh, we've had a lot of luck in this regard because we're really doing things that no one has ever done before. And so it's, uh, there's not much prior art. So in the end, uh, from a business model point of view, it's all going to resolve around, revolve around some method of licensing, technology and, and Donna could talk to us because she's developed multiple. We have an a, a, a interesting strategy right now, combining an open source with uh, a model. Yeah.
2: I think it's important to mention the open source, mm-hmm. which is kind of, you might scratch your head and say, well, how do you have an, a business model at all? If you've got an open yeah, source I was I was just um, thinking software, that. it's all there. We even put our research software there so that people can see what we're working on. It's mm-hmm. the most open of the companies we're working in this space, mm-hmm. I, I would argue. So how can we do that and reconcile that with a commercial mission? Well, the way we do that is through kind of the magic of the open source license and how it works. It's open for any kind of non-commercial use, for academics, for researchers and companies, anybody... But at the point at which somebody makes a commercial product, some may they can choose to do it under the open source license, but many will say, I don't want to build a commercial product on this open source, this specific open source license. I'd rather get a commercial license from you. So in the end, we can do both. So you're
0: licensing the core technology. So we can technology. license
2: the core t- and the intellectual property, mm-hmm. which may come into play very importantly in the future because one of the possible directions for this is that it's going to take a new kind of a semiconductor architecture and a new kind of a piece of hardware that's going to accelerate it in a different way wow. that today's hardware does. And it could be it ends up like a um, business model like a Qualcomm or a CDMA where there is um, specific hardware that needs to be you deployed make. that we would license we somebody else. We wouldn't make that. We're, we're not going to be a semiconductor company, but we've had quite a few actually talking to us and actively working and looking at uh, porting our algorithms to their architectures and I think that's going to be an important part of the business. That's an interesting
1: story there. Uh, I've given numerous talks recently at semiconductor conferences, been invited to give keynote mm-hmm. speech talks. And the, everybody in the semiconductor space is looking for what's next. Right. What's, what's beyond Moore's Absolutely. Law, what's beyond the von Neumann architecture. Mm-hmm. And when you look at that space, they all eventually come around to looking at us because we have these really interesting, unique architectures which come from the brain and they're different than everyone else is doing. And if you kind of buy the argument, this is the way it's going to work, then you've got a model for thinking about what new future semiconductor uh, architectures are going to look like. So it's a fascinating sort of field right now where they're all trying to figure out what's going to they come are, next.
0: They are, because that era is ended. We're yeah. going to talk about that next. Uh, we're here with J- uh, Jeff Hawkins and Donna Dubinsky. Their company is Numenta, which is a machine intelligence company. They're trying to... Uh, reverse, engineer. reverse engineer the brain not re-engineer the brain although sometimes i wish you could do that <laughs> <laughs> this episode is brought to you by go cd the open source continuous delivery server created by thoughtworks go cd is the best integration and deployment tool you have probably never heard of it offers complete customization for your software's individual needs there's no plug-in or workaround needed go cd just goes spend more time delivering and less time configuring Commercial support and enterprise add-ons, including disaster recovery, are available. Download GoCD for free at www.go.cd. We're here talking with Donna Dubinsky and Jeff Hawkins about their company Numenta, which is a machine intelligence company all around the brain. Um, we've talked a lot about changing software, changing hardware, what's going on. You guys have had a long history in Silicon Valley, and I'm going to bug you and, and make you pundits, essentially, of where you think you are. You're moving into an area that's all fresh and new. You're talking about create the next big thing and, and where chips are going and where other things are going. You've created several companies, and, and while Palm and Ham Spring didn't sort of survive the change, they were at the pioneering edge of these things at all times. Can you talk a little bit about where you think we are in the cycle?
2: Well, it's such a good point about, you know, looking back at these prior mm-hmm. generations because I find it very amusing when now we walk around and people say, "Oh, the future is mobile." It's like yeah. No, no, no. It's seeing that the future was mobile 20 years before it happened is the hard part. Right. Seeing that the future is mobile once you're in the midst of it, it that's not the future no. anymore. Right. And I think it takes a very particular skill set and mindset to say where's this stuff going it takes a deep technology understanding you have to know when when jeff figured out the future was mobile it was mm-hmm. he understood about screens he understood about processors he right. understood about memory it wasn't just a you know, a theory, it was based on real understanding of Of the the technology, technology. Uh intersected with an understanding of people and their uses and their needs and how this stuff could be applied. Not that you could totally predict it. Uh, You know, I like to say when we created the Palm Pilot, we didn't imagine Uber. Right. So, you know, you don't know exactly where it's going to go, but you know enough to know that it needs to go in that direction. Well, we did
1: know, and we claimed publicly many times that that mobile computing would be the driving dominant yes, force of personal computing. And the time I used to say that, uh, our VP of marketing used to say, Jeff, don't say that. It sounds crazy. Don't yeah. say that. It sounds crazy. But it turned out to be true because at the time it sounds a little crazy. But anyway... Uh, yeah, yeah we, slides, but you
2: know, the future computing is mobile computing. And right. people would just, you know, kick us out of their offices. They thought it was Yeah, so I think Walt
0: and I were necessarily 10 or 12 years ago saying Web 3.0 was all mobile. And we got so much pushback from yeah. lots and lots of people. They're like, that's ridiculous. And we're like, no, we think so, it isn't. You know,
1: we're in a similar situation right now. Yeah, but this they is... They we're saying, look, the future of machine intelligence is going to be based on, on brain algorithms. And that is a minority opinion today. I am so certain of it. I'm 100% certain of it. 20 years from now, we're all going to look back and say, oh, yeah, that was obvious. Why, why would right. you think anything else? But today, we have to So at. as the, the
0: big brain here, what do you imagine? I mean, if here, where are we in the mobile development right now? <laughs>
1: Isn't it over by now? Is it over? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Everyone has <laughs> You're one. You're not though. interested in phones anymore. Uh, not particularly. Why is that? Just uh, been there, done that? Well, I think Donna and I are both attracted I remember when I met Donna, she was like, she told me the story why she went to work at Apple early on. Because she said, oh, my God, I had this epiphany that personal computers are going to be huge. And we are both attracted to, like, this next, like, what's going to happen, what's going to be obvious 20 years from now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, mobile, it's like, it's okay. What what do you have to do to be successful in mobile right now? How good is your camera? Uh, what, you know, how good is your you know your low light this and how good is you yeah. know their screen OLED versus that I mean that's boring yeah. it's
2: incremental work <laughs> now it's incremental I mean yeah. maybe there's some big advances out there that are going to dramatically
1: change it but do you um, think the form factor is going to change I don't I, I'm happy with my form factor yeah why would you why would it be any different on your head or I you know. know I don't think so I Google mean, Glass and even though it's a no.
0: bad execution it might be a good idea
1: no I, I it's well like something will probably do something replace it in the future perhaps but the moment i'm i'm i don't think to me
2: so. the much more interesting aspects of mobile have been the applications on top of it sure. you know uh, yeah. things like uber or, or using airbnb on it or whatever i mean there's been fascinating um application software directions. so i think there'll continue to be that things that we never thought of that mm-hmm. people will do with these things that'll be world changing and important
0: right. <laughs> right and what so what, what, what do you imagine that happening or do you think that's also played out jeff do you
1: um you know it's as Donna said earlier. It's Cause
0: some people it, feel the app economy is sort of going to
1: collapse. You no, know, it's so hard to predict these details. Um, what you can get right is the really big trends, mm-hmm. and then the details are never go- you're never going to. So, what does a
0: of, phone look like? And
1: in- I, you know, I don't think about this space much, and I'm very hesitant to. Well, it to could speculate. be full of
0: brain information. Well, I all right. Smarter so, phones so, is so what like, we're
1: looking. You for. know, smarter smartphones. If you phones. want to summarize Donna and my relationship for twenty some of years. Um, it starts out, Donna, understanding that before we met, that the future personal of p- personal computing, you know, the, the, the future of computing was personal computing. Then together was the future of personal computing was mobile computing. And now it, it's the future of computing is intelligent machines that work on the principles of the brain. This is going to be the dominant driver in technology going through the remainder of this century and um, I'm so certain of that, so confident of that, that it makes you put up with all the, the crap that happens every day and the, the things you have to deal with and, and the difficulty of our task. But I think that's, we are attracted me from a technology side, her from a sort of development business side, we are attracted to the really big ideas. And so it's less interesting working on the old stuff. It's, it's right like, you know, For
2: us, it's really, it's about impact in the end. You mm-hmm. know, where can you invest your short time here on earth to have mm-hmm. the most impact for the good? And, you know, what are you going to work on where you can move the needle? And uh, to me, what's been remarkable about this journey is that you can actually, and it's rare that you can say this, you can actually see more clearly 10 years from now than two years from now. Usually, you're going to look out two years and say, okay, I know what's going to happen, but I don't know what's going to happen in 10 right. or 20. I, I think it's the opposite in this case. We believe this will be ubiquitous. So give me again. a use scenario.
0: I mean, is it a car that really is, because the human brain is good I at try driving to give a car. You know,
1: yeah, but that's. I think that's thinking too narrowly. Okay, all right. All right. The human brain is amazing. I have a small human brain. No, you do. You have a beautiful one, and just like everyone else's. Yeah. So um, the human brain is incredible for the number of things it can do that it didn't evolve to do. The engineering and designing this building, structures, materials, science, physics, mathematics, space exploration. The things that we do as a species that no other species done has ever done or could do is just incredible. And we didn't evolve to do these things. So... We have this universal learning algorithm. This has been known for a long time uh, that the brain works on, this universal learning algorithm that can be applied to all these different types of problems that no one would ever guess. And it's that promise of going from, thinking about it this way, today's computers work on the van Neumann or Turing architecture, which says you can program a machine to do anything. And the brain shows that there's another algorithm that says you can learn to do anything. And that anything is not... It doesn't overlap much with what com- computers do. Computers are not good at designing buildings and doing physics and mathematics and poetry and so on, but humans are, and and we can build machines that learn to do an incredible number of things that we've never thought of. And here's another example. Humans are limited by our physical. our physical presence. We have to have a body, and so machines have to have a body. But we have a certain set of sensors. We have eyes, ears, and skin, and we have a physical embodiment of those intelligent machines don't have to be limited by that mm-hmm. we can build intelligent machines have sensors that are incredibly d- different that look at nanoparticles that look at outer space they will think in n dimensions they will think in protein folding. Where humans have we have we have limits, trouble. We have limits yeah. to what we can do because the impedance between our sensors and our body and the things we want to learn about. So give me something that it, what would
0: be an application. I know it sounds crazy, but regular people need to know what does that mean?
2: Well, I'll give you an idea of what some people are working on today. It's a wide variety. I don't think it's necessarily reflective of what are the yeah. big applications in ten years, but uh, we have people working on looking at crop sensors and trying to understand what's going on in a field and can we improve what you know the farmers able to do in the field. We have a lot of work being done in language. So reading contracts with the machine so it can understand whether contracts are in compliance or not in compliance. Uh, searching manuals to find answers on technical support problems that today, you know, they sit there with, you know, 80 manuals from various versions of the product and they simply can't look them up in a very easy way. Uh, we have one company that's monitoring beer taps and trying to get the quality right in uh-huh. beer taps and understand what the using flow brain is. Algorithms. And yes. Using right. brain algorithms. I mean, it's just because they don't have to be programmed. They're learning from the data. They're looking at the sensors, the sensory information. It's temperature. It's flow. It's, yeah. you know, a what bunch if, of sensors. What does any
1: do?
0: old bartender can do?
2: Just well, bite.
1: actually, actually what Donna didn't mention. We haven't mentioned so far, but the brain works on time-based data. It's mm-hmm. always a bit, Things are always changing in time. Where most machine learning algorithms are not time based, yeah. they're static, and so all these applications Donna just mentioned actually, like the beer tap, they, people are sensing the temperature and whatever the flow over time, every every minute, mm-hmm. every ten seconds, whatever, and so you model the data over time. And they
2: don't have to set up thresholds in advance. Oh, if right. it hits that temperature or that temperature, it learns what's normal. It learns Saturday night is different than Tuesday night. I mean, it's just a fun example, yeah. but you know, we're monitoring um, servers, as I said, to say you know, is there something unusual going on with a server? There's some maybe some latency in the network, or some bottlenecks that we can yeah. predict in advance. We're learning that temporal data comes in. We learn the pattern. We can make a prediction. We can find anomalies. So, so there's a lot of applications today that are are very interesting, and they're. You know, again, we're not focused on a specific application, but the amazing number of developers are are working on this and looking at interesting ways to apply it.
0: So if you're working on these brain algorithms that we make machines do, what about our brains? Do they get better? Do they learn? Do they well, become? Well, our brains, obviously. Does the old brain go away? It doesn't seem like it's going I, away well, in this season. Well, it doesn't seem Seems like. It like the <laughs> old brain is having a resurgence. <laughs> well,
1: uh, yeah, this is interesting. I actually want to write a book about this topic. Um, it's a great idea uh, because literally the old brain is because, like, doing pretty good this because year. Because as a species, what makes us unique and what we want to be proud of in the longest term is the things we do that are intelligent, intellectual, um, our ability to learn and understand the world. That's what makes us unique. Yet we are saddled with our old brain as well. And I think, if I want to leave you with a very long-term thinking point of view, we have to, as a species, it'll be very interesting to see if we can transition to the point where we embrace more of our intellect and somehow shed the the problems that we we have inherited as an animal species. And that'll determine whether we survive as a species in a long time or not. And, and the things we should be most proud of as a species are not that I kill this person over here or steal their land or do or, you know get the better food. It's gonna be like, what did we leave from an intellectual point of view? What is our, our knowledge that we've achieved about the universe? And that's a problem for humanity to figure out. We, it's an interesting problem. Is the brain physically developing like that? The, uh, the brain is already developed. It's not changing much now. Right. Uh, we continue to evolve as a species like every other animal does. But right at the moment, you know. Our technology is, is evolving so much more rapidly than any kind of evolutionary process in biology can handle. So the question is, can we as a species figure out how to embrace our better side and our intelligent and intellectual side and deal with the fact that we... Um,
0: can we help that along? I mean, one thing Elon was talking about was neural lace or whatever I don't know what that is well you stick it in the back of your veins and then you suddenly get smarter you turn your brain into a computer I guess in a serious well I think it's unlikely. so if you can do math better you I
1: think it's unlikely that we will certainly you're not going to be able to upload your brain to the computer and you're I think they were
0: talking about uploading things to your brain
1: I think that's going to be unlikely too unfortunately but I wouldn't count on that
0: okay (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right. Oh, damn. Any, I was hoping that would work out. And I could finally
1: understand uh, quantum physics. Uh, no, maybe it'll happen, damn. but we shouldn't count on it. We shouldn't sit around and say, oh, yeah, that'll, that'll solve our problem." I wanted just to
0: stick something in. I learned, like, karate in two Yeah, circles. well, we we'll would go
1: right to the matrix. Isn't it what they did? That's in, the matrix. That's the, exactly the matrix? what they did. I don't think that's going to All happen. right, Jeff. Damn.
0: All right, thank you so much, Donna Dubinsky and Jeff Hawkins of Numenta. They're working on how computers get brains and how brains evolve. Thanks very much. Thank, Thank you. you. If you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. Be the first to listen to future episodes or catch up on previous episodes, including some really fantastic interviews I've done with Yelp CEO Jeremy Stoppelman, 23andMe CEO Anne Wojcicki, and J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon, just to name a few. And if you're one of the people celebrating the Cleveland Cavaliers NBA championship, you can hear my colleague Kirk Wagner interview LeBron James's manager Maverick Carter. All those interviews and more are at recode.net slash decode. Now that you're done with this, why not try one of our other podcasts, Recode Media with Peter Kafka, comes out every Thursday. On Fridays, I host Two Embarrassed to Ask, along with Lauren Good of The Verge. And on Recode Replay, you can find audio from our events like the Code Conference, Peter Kafka's Code Media, and Jason Del Rey's Code Commerce. Thanks for listening, and thanks to our sponsors, Casper, SoFi, and ThoughtWorks. Also, thanks to Digital Media, which distributes this show. This has been another episode of Recode Decode. Remember to subscribe to the show and leave us a review at itunes.com slash recode decode. I'll be back here on Monday with another great guest. Tune in then.
2: This has been Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher,
0: powered by digital media. For more hard-hitting interviews with insiders from the worlds of tech, media, and politics, subscribe to Recode Replay on iTunes, featuring candid conversations with leading voices like AOL CEO Tim Armstrong, Goldman Sachs' CIO Marty Chavez, the team behind the hit TV show Empire, Shark Tank investor Mark Cuban, and presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. They're all on Recode Replay.